You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. So I'm going to begin today's message with a confession. And maybe some of you would share this confession with me. You don't have to raise your hand, but you could just sort of nod in your heart and go, hmm, I'm not the only one. And that is that I'm tired. Okay, I'm tired. Um, and maybe some of you are tired too. Uh, but my confession goes beyond just being physically tired. Um, this might sound a little bit odd to you, but I'm actually tired of Christmas. What? What? You know, end of sermon? Well, what, what am I tired about? I'm, I'm tired of Christmas being so commercialized. I'm tired of Christmas trees and Santa and stars and lights being sold on Labor Day. I'm tired even of the all-too-common traditionalisms that we have even in religious places, even in church sometimes. I, I'm tired of the all-too-common songs. I'm tired of the the all-too-common messages about a manger and shepherd and wise men. And, and I'm not doing this because it's bah, humbug. You know, it's not just the words of a, an old man who's getting weary. But I'm just sort of tired of, of Christmas with sentiments, but without being sacred. But I'm not tired. I'm not tired about the hope that Christ gives in Christmas. I'm not tired about the desire to get beyond commercialism. I'm not tired about the idea that God wants to live in my life and in your life, that God wants to change the world through you and through me, that God has a greater purpose for our life than anything maybe we've ever thought of. I want us to be awake. And not tired. As God wants us to be. And as we go into the scriptures over this mini-series of four weeks, we're going to look at prophecy, but we're going to go beyond Old Testament prophecy. I want to go beyond just the understanding that Old Testament prophecies, as wonderful and as necessary as they are, I want to go beyond them. Even beyond the fulfillment of them in the New Testament. For I can know that the Old Testament prophecies are true about Jesus. I can even know that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies in the New Testament. But I want to go beyond that. I want to go to be ultimately fulfilled the way that I believe God wants us to be fulfilled. So that we would have every desire, every dream, every passion every fulfillment that God wants us to have. This is a season of Advent. And the word Advent means coming. And it is a season of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a season for us to be spiritually prepared. God wants us to be expecting His presence in our life. He wants us to be expecting like a mom expecting a baby. That we would be looking forward to the coming of Jesus. And throughout history, there have been different ways that people have sought to try to make this dream, this hope, this desire, this passion, this expectation become more real and more exciting. 
I remember myself as a, as a young boy, and I'm an only child, so I was the typical, stereotypical, spoiled brat only child. And I just had lots of toys. I had lots of cousins. And so, like, for example, if, if my mom would spend $10 on every one of my cousins, and if my cousins were in a family of four, then my aunt and uncle kind of felt obligated that they had to buy Curtis a $40 gift since uh, my mom would have to spend $10 on each one. And, you know, that's not the right way to do things, but typically that's the way families work, right? We, we got to sort of equal things out. So I was the beneficiary of this stupidity. And um, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Um, and I was so looked forward to Christmas. And I would have a hard time sleeping. And maybe as a child, you remember that. Where when you were little and Christmas time was coming and Christmas Eve was here. And if you're one of those families like mine that opens the presents on Christmas morning, then you couldn't sleep. And I was like that. Problem with that was that because I couldn't sleep, I would wake up or get up really early and wake up mom and dad really early. And they didn't want that because they wanted to sleep. And so they had a trick that they used to do with me. And there was something that they would give to me on Christmas Eve so that I wouldn't wake them up on Christmas morning. Moms and dads, you'll probably want to know what that is. And I'm going to tell you at the end of the sermon. <laughs> but throughout history, there's been other ways that people have sought to get us ready for Christmas. And over the last couple of years, we've talked about the Advent wreath. And so I have an Advent wreath here, and it's the same one that we've been using. But in the past, all I did was talk about it, and this year, I'm going to preach about it. And so the Advent wreath is circular, and that's to represent the eternity that God has in and of himself, and the eternal hope that we have in the coming, in the reality of Jesus Christ. It's also made of evergreens, which represents eternal life. It also has four candles on the outside and one in the middle, and each one represents Jesus in a different aspect of him. And the first candle that we're going to light today is the candle of hope. And then next week, we're going to light the candle of peace and then the candle of joy. And you notice the candle of joy is a different color, and in two weeks, we'll understand why. And then we have the candle of love is the fourth candle, and then we have the middle candle, which is called the Christ candle. And the, the middle candle is white because it represents the purity of Christ, but it also represents the purity of all the people who come to know Christ and are covered by his blood, which washes us white as snow. But the purple candles represents penance or penitence. And so this first candle is the candle of hope, and in some traditions, it's known as the prophecy candle. And the reason why there is penance in these four is because this is the need of our own heart to confess our need for God. And so the greatest prophet of the New Testament would be John the Baptist, as he was the fulfillment of God's promise. And it was his words that echo the truth of Advent when he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's preparing us the way that we might know Jesus, but we must repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, we want the kingdom of God, and that is hope. And that is the candle that we light today, this candle of hope. And it represents what you and I desire, something that we long for. And I believe the greatest longing of our all is found in these scriptures and in these truths today. Someone once said that you can live 40 days without food. You can live four days without water. You can live four minutes 
without air, but you can only live four seconds without hope. We need hope. And in today's scripture, we're actually going to find four prayers that we can pray that bring hope and inspiration to our lives. But they're not just prayers that we pray in the way that we say them. They're also prayers that we pray and we live. And so the first one is found, if you open up your scriptures to Psalm, Luther into chapter 80. Psalm chapter 80. And the first one is verses 1 and 2. And this is the first prayer that we would say. And you're, we're going to see this four times where the psalmist is praying with people and for people. And so he prays as a representative. So he plays in the plural. And so his first prayer is, hear us. Hear us, O shepherd, and save us. Would you read with me um, Psalm chapter 80, verses 1 and 2, if you can see it on the screen, or you can just read from whatever version you have. Let's begin. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. This is our first prayer for hope. This is, when back here, we look back, and we see a sheep. And this is what's called cast. The sheep is cast. And what's happened is the sheep has lost its center of gravity, either because its, its weight is too heavy or because it tripped and fell into a crevice or a, a hole. And when a sheep falls over, its legs are too short, its body is too heavy, and its wool keeps it from being able to have any way of getting its feet onto the ground to turn itself up. And what happens is that within a few hours, even if no wolf comes, even if no wild animal comes and, and kills this sheep, it'll still die. Because when a sheep is laying down like that, what's happening is gases begin to build up in its abdomen. And in a few hours, those gases will kill the sheep. And the sheep cannot get up by itself, and other sheep can't help it to get up either. And so in that understanding... This person prays. The person is Asaph, as we see as he's the author of this psalm. And he says, hear us, O shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock. And then he names some of the brothers and the children. Of, he names one brother of Joseph, Benjamin, and his children, the children of Joseph, which are Ephraim and Manasseh. And this represents all of Israel. And at this time, Israel is in captivity. Israel is in a place of being overwhelmed by enemies. And so the psalmist prays, God, shepherd us. Be a shepherd to us. Lord, lead us. We are in need. We confess our need to God. We cry out to him. As the great shepherd, as the only one, like a good shepherd, would have to come and pick up the sheep so that it might walk again and not die. So God calls to us as the shepherd, and we call to him, and we say, Lord, save us, O shepherd of Israel. Jesus, of course, is our great shepherd. And this word save in the Old Testament there at the end of verse 2 is the word Yeshua which is the same word that we get the name Joshua in the Old Testament, which is the same word that in Greek is Jesus, Yesu. 
It comes from the same root of the Hebrew Yeshua. And so Jesus is also the Savior. Jesus is the one who bears the name of being the one who saves us even when we are lost, even when we have great needs. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 and 12, I'll read it and you can follow along. And this is what the prayers were of the people, where they say, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I'm sorry, these are the answers to their prayers. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep, they have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. For some of us, that's been part of our year. That's something that we've gone through. We've gone through clouds and we've gone through thick darkness. But in that, we can cry out to our shepherd. We can cry out to God to save us. We can cry out to Jesus. We can cry out to Yeshua. We can cry out to the one who wants to be the Savior who lifts us up. And that's why Jesus came. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. So if we feel lost, if we need hope, the promise of God is that he will save us. The promise of God is that he will lift us up. He cares for us. He loves us. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, the Bible says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so as we would want to not just pray this prayer, O oh Lord, Hear our prayers, O shepherd of Israel. But rather, we also want to live this prayer. It would mean that we would follow after the shepherd. It would mean that we would seek to listen to his voice. It would mean that we would keep our eyes on the shepherd and that we would follow where he leads us. We would know that he is a compassionate shepherd. We would know that he is a loving shepherd that cares so much that he would die in our place. In John 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Do you know the Good Shepherd? Do you know Jesus by name? Do you recognize his voice? You can by seeking to follow after him, by choosing to have faith to walk in the way that God calls us to walk, to follow after the one who died for us, Jesus is this good shepherd who laid down his life for us. And that's why Christmas is real to us. That's why Christmas is here. Is that Jesus came to show us what God is like. Who is a good shepherd. Who would come to earth to pay the price for our sins. He himself to lift us up when we're cast down. To give us the hope that we need. So we pray, hear us, O shepherd, and save us. The second prayer that we see in Psalm 80 is that God would ask us to pray and to ask him to restore us, to restore us. We may be in a time of darkness, but there's still the hope of light. Let's read this scripture together. We're going to read Psalm 80, verses 3-7 and verse 19. Let's begin. Restore us, 
O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us a source of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. God wants to restore us. And we can cry out to him as the Lord God. We can cry out using all of his names. He is God. And the word God here is Elohim. And it's the word that is used to refer to God as deity. And it's used over 2,500 times in the Bible. And it means that God is he's supreme, he's sovereign, he's majestic, and he's glorious. But it's not just who he is, but it's also the person that he is. And so the psalmist here also says and calls him Lord. And this Lord is Yahweh. The word means Jehovah. It means the name of God. He is the self-existent one. He is the way, that is the way he describes himself. In, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, God is describing himself to the people of Israel through Moses. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God wants us to call on him. He wants us to call on his name. And we see the psalmist here, he uses his name in different ways. In verse 3, he simply says, O God, in the English. In verse 4, he says, O Lord God Almighty. In verse 7, he says, O God Almighty. And then in verse 19 again, O Lord God Almighty. Um, you know, when your children, you want to get their attention, like my mom, if she wanted to get my attention, she would say, Curtis, clean your room. But if I didn't clean my room, then she would go, Curtis Lowe, clean your room. If I still didn't clean my room, she would say, Curtis Brian Lowe, clean your room. Now, that's what parents do, right? We, we use the fullness of their name. Now, this is in reverse, but it has the same passion in it. It's us. And we want and we need God. We long for his presence. We want him to restore us. And so we would say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, God, come to my aid. O Lord God Almighty, restore me. I need you. The psalmist, after crying these things out, he says what he wants. Once he gets God's attention, what does he want? What does he want here? You look in these verses. Verses 3, verses 7, and verse 19. Those are the three times the psalmist says, Restore us, O God. What does he long for? He says, make your face shine upon us. Three times. Make your face shine upon us. Make your face shine upon us. Another translation of make your face shine on us is, Lord, smile on me. 
in the times of darkness, in the times of fear, in the times of need, when we long for hope, we want God to smile on us. You ever had a bad day and things aren't going very well, but then somebody just sort of smiles at you and it reminds you that things can be okay, that there are kind people in the world. And God is being cried out to by the Israelites, God, shine your face on us again. One of the benedictions that's often said at the end of service is taken from the book of Numbers. And it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord make his face smile upon you and be gracious to you. And this is the hope that we have. And we can live this, not just pray it. We can live it by persistently pursuing the light of Christ, by persistently pursuing Jesus even in the darkness. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible says, In the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Peter is reminding us that we do go through suffering. He's even reminding us that we have to go through suffering so that then God can restore us. We wouldn't need to be restored if we didn't go through darkness. We wouldn't need to be restored with strength if we didn't go through weakness. We wouldn't need to be restored to faith if we hadn't stuttered or tripped or fallen. But now, as Peter says, we pray that God would restore us that we might be steadfast. Maybe you're in a, a season in your life where you would say, you know, my faith has, been seen, has seen better days. I'm just sort of coasting right now. I'm, I'm really not drawing near unto God. I know I should, I want to, but I don't really. Peter's talking to us there. And he's saying that cry out to God to restore us. Cry out to him to make us steadfast, to renew our faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Christmas can renew us. It can be a time in our lives where we can turn to God and we can use the things that God has given to us for the higher and deeper purposes that we might experience the glory of God. For myself, one of the things that I like to do is I like listening to Christmas music. And so I've made these really long playlists that I play just at Christmas. If I'm not reading something, I'll listen to Christmas hymns and Christmas carols. If I'm reading something, I'll just play the instrumental versions of them. But I love the Christmas music. It reminds me of the hope. It reminds me of my need. It reminds me that Jesus has come to be with us, to be with me. And so we live this prayer through persistence, through the persistence of prayer, but also through the persistence of seeking, of reading his word, of turning to him, of deciding that I want my life to change. I want it to be stronger. I want it to be better that no matter what, I want Jesus' light to shine on me, even in my darkness. And so we've had these first two prayers that we can live. Lord, Lord, hear us. Lord, restore us. And now, in verse 14 and 15, Lord, return to us. Verse 14 and 15 say this. Return to us, O God Almighty, 
Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine. The root your right hand has planted. The son you have raised for yourself. Not only had the Israelites turned far from God, they needed to return to God, yes. But because they felt God was so far from them, they prayed, God, return to us. Restore us to the place that we once had. When he says, watch over the vine, the vine represents the plantings of God, which represented Israel. The psalmist is pleading, God, deliver me. Deliver us. Look down. Don't just stay in heaven. Come down. Look down from heaven. Watch over us. Be present to us. The root of your right hand was planted. Now, how do you plant something? You have to put it into the ground. And you have to be present to do it. And God had been with the Israelites. It was like he took a shovel and he put the seed in the ground. And then a root began to grow. And God was present with them. But they're missing that now. They're missing it. And they're pleading with God, Lord, come back and be with me. Return to us, O God. For us to live this out. And believe is to experience what it means to, for us ourselves to return to the God who turns to us. We live this prayer by turning to God ourselves. The picture behind the words there is a famous picture by Rembrandt called The Return of the, the Prodigal Son. And it's an amazing picture that shows the compassion of the father as he puts his hands over his broken son. And even as the elder brother watches on, that the heavenly father is like this picture. He is a God of compassion who has turned to us. He ran to his child. We read in Luke chapter 15 the story of the prodigal, which you probably know, you've heard of before. But it is again a picture to us of what we can do at Christmas time at all times to turn to God. In verse 18, The prodigal says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, And kissed him. The son was walking. But the father was running. The son came home broken. Discouraged. Scared. And depressed. The father came running. Hopeful. Compassionate. Filled with love. And ready to restore. He was returning to the son. Even as the son was returning to him. This is a picture you and for me maybe it's not just that you feel like you're in the doldrums of your spiritual life maybe you actually would confess like I've had to confess in my life I'm actually living a hypocritical life I pretend to be a Christian or I'll go to church on Sundays or at least most Sundays or at least one Sunday a month or at least once every two months or or maybe just when I come home um, from school, but, but I go, so that's good, right? But you would admit to yourself that 
you know what, I'm, I'm actually far from God. I once was close to God, that was wonderful, but now I'm far from God. Remember the testimony of a friend who talked about how when he went away to college, um, he was just sort of a party animal at that time, and he went away to college, but his parents loved the Lord, and his, his parents gave him a Bible, and so he took that Bible with him. And then he just continued to party, party, party while he was in college. And then one day, I think he woke up, it was after he had, he had a hangover, and he's just sort of rolling over in bed, and he, he opened his eyes, and he looked on the bookshelf. What did he see? He saw his Bible. And so he, he got up, and he went to his Bible, and he said, it was all dusty. It had been sitting there on the shelf, unread, unused. But in his state of his hangover, he realized he was in a bad place. And he began to read the Bible. And he began to turn towards God. And God continued to lead him one place after the other. And now he's in seminary, seeking after the Lord. His heart was changed because God had moved in his heart a desire to come home. And if you have the desire to come home to him, turn to him. And don't be afraid. You may have to walk to him. You may shuffle to him with your head down. But like the prodigal God, he is running to you, running to us to restore us, to lift us up, and to build us back into the people that we long to be. So live this prayer by returning to the Lord. And the last and the fourth prayer is this. Lord, revive us. Revive us. If you can see that, would you, would you read it out loud with me? Verses 17 and 18. Let's say it together. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Revive us and we will call on your name. There is some expectation in these words. He is praying, God, revive us. But he says, when you do, I will not turn away. When you do, we will not turn away. When you do return to us and you revive us, we will call on your name. The man at your right hand seems to refer back to those that he was speaking about at the beginning, to the people of Israel represented by these four men. And the Son of Man also seems to represent one of them, quite possibly Benjamin. But it may also represent the New Testament fulfillment of Jesus' favorite term for himself, the Son of Man. And that Jesus comes himself personally to revive you and to revive me. The word revive means to live or to live again. It is a word of recovery. It's a word of repair. It is a word of expectation. It is a word of hope that God will revive us. We live this prayer of revival by expecting God to come, no matter how broken we may be, no matter how bad we may feel, no matter where we have been. In Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, these words are written. But in Matthew chapter 12, we are told that they are fulfilled in Jesus. 
And these are perfect words for us to close with, to understand that, yes, fulfillment of prophecy is absolutely essential. It's wonderful. It's needed. It proves the truth of God and His Word, that that which was said hundreds, even thousands of years before Jesus was born, was fulfilled in Jesus. And it's wonderful to know that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, fulfilled the prophecies that were in the Old Testament. But we want to go deeper than that. We want to go further than that. We want it to be more real to our lives than just something we have in our heads and believe inside of us, but something that we live. And so in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, it says of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Do you need hope? Do you know someone needs hope? Are you feeling bruised? Like a tender reed growing in a marsh that's been bent? God says in Jesus, he won't break. Do you feel like a, a light that once was bright, but now there's no more fire? In fact, all this is smoke. And it's a smoldering wick. The Bible says Jesus isn't going to put his finger over that wick and snuff it out. Like that candle of hope. He's going to light it again. In his name, the Bible says, the nations will put their hope. That's a reminder to us of the truth that everybody in the world needs hope. Every nation, every person can find their hope in Jesus Christ. This word hope means expectation. It means to expect something to happen. It's a word that's used of faith and of confidence. The nations put their hope in Jesus. We can put our hope and expectations of everything we ever wanted, of what we want most right now, He can do. He can give. So maybe we can just take out the word nations and just put our name there or someone you love. In His name, Curtis will put their hope. In His name, your name. Christmas Eve when I was a little boy. What did mom and dad do that would help me so that I would be satisfied and they could sleep? On Christmas Eve, they would say, Curtis, see that box right there? That one with the red bow? When you wake up in the morning, you can open that one first. And inside, they had found a, bought a toy for me of some kind that would keep me really busy for hours. And so I would wake up, or if I didn't sleep, I'd get up early in the morning, and I'd open that box, and I'd play with that toy until mom and dad woke up. Because they had already given to me something, it kept my attention, even though there was more to come. It fulfilled a need, even though I still had more desire. Well, today, God gives us a gift like that toy early before Christmas. And it's the gift of hope. He wants you to hold on to hope through Advent. To hold on to it every day until Christmas morning or whenever you open up 
the gifts. And even then we'll find that that gift can live on when we talk about the last gift of love. When we talk about the Christ candle, the middle candle that can always burn in our lives. Advent is a time of spiritual preparation. A time of hope. Something that will keep you hungry for more. Eager for the coming of Jesus and the fulfillment of everything he can give. What do you hope for? It's found in Jesus. Let us pray.